All right. Would you mind just standing for the reading of God's Word this morning, Luke chapter 19? I'm going old school and reading from the King James Version this morning. And we're going to just look at one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Let's read uh, verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans or the tax collectors. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus. We're talking about behold the man. He sought to see. He sought to behold Jesus, who he was. But he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Some translations say a fig tree or they say a sycamore fig tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and he received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he has gone to be guest with a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And I have ta- if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. Lord Jesus, help us be like Zacchaeus today and see you for who you really are. And when we see and behold you, will we not just see a Bible character or a Bible story, but will we see the God who has the power to change our life? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Behold the man. It's our series that we're in through this season of Lent, through this spring season leading up to Easter, and it's all about looking to Jesus and seeing what God is really like. I think I've said that 10,000 times in the past few weeks, but it is so important that you get that when you look at Jesus, you really do see the true God and what God is really like. And we're continuing that series. We're looking at what God's really like. We're on a journey to Good Friday, on a journey to Easter Sunday. We're looking at the episodes of Jesus' life and his earthly ministry, and we're discovering by looking at Jesus the nature, the personality, the love, and the essence of who God really is. And today's episode, it's probably one of my my, my favorite stories in scripture. Okay, don't embarrass me, all right? You got to do this with me. You ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Good job. Y'all are so great. Yes, you know, that we all know, I mean, if you grew up in church for any amount of time, in Sunday school with flannel boards, you know, and they had, they had the flannel up there, and they put the little characters, and they told you the story, uh, geez, kids these days have no idea what I'm talking about, you know, but, but that was how we learned this story, and you, everyone learned the song, it's just, but you know, sometimes I think we just turn the story into a cute little song, and we maybe don't see the real meaning of this story. This, this, this episode in scripture is probably my favorite one. I love preaching on it. We sang the song in Sunday school. I just love this story of Jesus going to spend the afternoon with a sinner named Zacchaeus. 
Now, this encounter, it takes place within the context of Jesus traveling uh, from his home religion of Galilee to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Jesus and his followers, they had made the journey from Galilee and had come south and they had come upon Jericho. And Jericho was the last stop on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus was on his journey. He was crossing the Jordan River into Judea and into Jerusalem for what would be the last time. This is the the last few weeks of Jesus' life. And behind Jesus, there was Nazareth. Behind him was Galilee. But, but before him were the final moments of his life on this earth. He was determined. He, was, uh, he knew exactly where he was going. He was going to die. He, he knew what the end of this journey would result in. His journey to Jerusalem was public. We know that there were hundreds at this point, before he came into Jerusalem, there were hundreds of people following him. There were hundreds of people that called themselves disciples of Jesus. And they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, to eat of the Passover lamb. But Jesus was going to become that perfect Passover lamb, given up as a sacrifice. Jericho was said to be the jewel of the desert. It was said to be uh, the city of palms. It was a wealthy, beautiful city in Judea at that time. It was an oasis in a desert valley. It possessed the only fresh water for miles. So if you were traveling through this area and you wanted to have a drink of water, you had to stop here. Uh, It was uh, a necessary stop. There was a place of fertility. It was a place of plenty. It It was fed by Roman aqueducts that brought fresh water into the middle of the city from natural streams. Uh, the historian Josephus, he called Jericho uh, the, a paradise, and it was the richest city in all of Judea. It was more wealthy than Jerusalem was. There were palms and, and sycamore fig trees and, and balsam trees that, that produced a expensive ointment. They grew in Jericho, and they added to the beauty of the city, but also to the wealth of this city. And Jericho was also the main trading on the main trading highway between Arabia and Israel. It was it was on this main trading place that traveling caravans would move through the city and stop there. And it became a hub of trade for merchants. Money from all over the world exchanged hands in Jericho. Uh, All kinds of materials and products and things were sold in Jericho. I say all this to let you know that Jericho was an extremely wealthy city. It was like the Malibu of the Middle East. It was where all the celebrities went to live and went to spend their time. It was a beautiful, it was a prosperous place. And in addition to this, it was also a very religious city. See, in the, in the Old Testament way, in the Old Covenant, there were priests that, that worked in the temple, and they worked for about a month at a time, uh, and, and the rest of the year they were with their families working in their own profession. And so a lot of times, the Levite priests who worked at the temple, they would live in Jerusalem, and they would just make that six-hour journey once a year to do their month of service there in the temple. So archaeology tells us that a lot of Levite priests and a lot of uh, religious officials lived in this city. It was, it was a very religious city with influential leaders in the Jewish religion. But in Jericho, when Jesus comes, there's one man who is hated by all the Jews that lived in that city. One man, the Bible says, who was the chief of publicans or the chief 
of tax collectors. He collects uh, taxes on every sale, every trade, every piece of property or merchandise that comes through this very wealthy city. One man who's a biological Jew himself, he's appointed by the Roman emperor, and he has authority to set the tax rates for the city. The emperor only wants a certain percentage, but this one man can charge whatever he would like. And if he can get more than the emperor desires, he gets to keep it. He gets to keep whatever he can extort out of people. He only has to send a portion. He keeps the rest for himself. He is an extortionist. He is a con artist. He's a fraud. He sells out his own people to make a dollar. And it's ironic that his name is Zacchaeus, because in the original language, in the Greek, that word Zacchaeus, it means pure, just, and righteous. This chief of tax collectors, this chief of sinners, his name is pure and just and righteous. Word has spread to Jericho that Jesus is coming to the city. His reputation has preceded him. News of who he was and the crowd that was following him had reached this man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had heard the name of Jesus. Jesus had become kind of a, a celebrity or personality in his own right in the area at that time. And when he heard that Jesus was coming, he had heard of his works and something of his teaching. And he knew that the religious leaders really didn't care for Jesus. They had a, actually a strong hatred for this man. And Zacchaeus had started to wonder, who is this man named Jesus? What is he like? What sort of man is he? Uh, is he the Messiah? Or maybe he's Antichrist. Maybe he's anti-Messiah. Is he a fraud? Is he a prophet? Would he rise up against the Roman Empire? That would be a destruction for Zacchaeus. That's how he makes his money. Would he start a rebellion for religious zealots to bring Israel freedom? Would he bring war? Would he bring peace? Because literally... What Jesus is doing, he is leading what appears to be an army from Galilee into Jerusalem. Zacchaeus had most likely heard that leaders in Jerusalem were set to kill Jesus. He had heard rumors that Jesus had raised a dead man to life named Lazarus just in the next town over in Bethany. Why, why were they wanting to kill him? Why, had he really performed such a miracle? And if he was such a good man who could perform miracles and raise the dead, how could anyone hate him? All of these questions are running through the mind of the most hated man in all of Jericho. Now, in this scene here, all sorts of people had begun to come out into the streets when they heard Jesus was approaching with a large crowd. They had all wanted to behold the man, Jesus. It was custom of the time that whenever someone important or a foreign dignitary or, or a military leader or someone famous was coming into the city, that the city would line the streets and, and they would welcome that person in and they would, they would go to see the spectacle of this large group of people coming. Angry men coming to sneer at the man claiming to be the Messiah. Excited fathers, I can imagine, with babies on their shoulders so that they could see Jesus as he comes into the city. Uh, giddy women excited to lay eyes on such a controversial figure. They'll tell the story for decades of the day they saw Jesus ride in to their city. I remember my grandmother telling me when she was younger, she grew up in Georgia, and there in, she grew up near Warm Springs, Georgia, where FDR uh, 
Roosevelt, President Roosevelt had a home, and she talked about when she was just a little girl remembering seeing the president drive by her home on his way to the little White House in Warm Springs. There was this thing about everyone knew and remembered that day we saw the president drive by. Everyone here would know and remember the day that Jesus came by and came into their city. They actually had the opportunity to behold the man. Everyone's out in the streets to see this man named Jesus. It's a festive atmosphere. Everyone was welcome to join in the parade. Everyone but Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't wanted anywhere. Nobody liked him. But he still came. Why? What interested this man so much that he actually the Bible says, ran ahead of the crowd. And this was shameful in Jewish culture. A Jewish dignified man would never be seen running like a child. But he was willing to lose what little dignity he had uh, left just to behold Jesus. See, on top of being hated, on top of being a fraud, on top of being a, tra a traitor, the Bible says in King James that he was little of stature. He was short. He was small. He was this short little rat of a man. That's what, I, I just, that's what he was. He was just this conniving little guy that everybody hated. He was probably self-conscious about his size, maybe overcompensated a little bit for his short stature by his crime and his bitterness and his attitude. What he lacked in size, he had a little bit of a Napoleonic complex. Maybe he made up for, in, in shortness, he made up for in ego. And the King James Version says he's, he could not see for the press. And think of it like a, like Katie and I, we, we cook with garlic a lot. We, we like to have garlic in the food. We, we have a garlic press, and it's this thing that comes in, and you put the garlic in there, and you squeeze it, and it just, it, it just creates pressure, and it creates this tight atmosphere where the, the, the juices of that thing and the flavors are allowed to express themselves. And so the Bible, when the King James Version says the press, it's this image of the crowd is pressing in and pressuring on this man. And now if you're hated by this whole crowd, that's a pretty intimidating place to be. You're short, and they're all surrounding you. <laughs> the Bible says he couldn't see for the press. The crowd's closing in, pressing in, and he's so short that he can't see. People coming at him from all sides. He's getting crowded. He's getting pressured. Let me ask you, what's pressuring you today? What seems like the walls are closing in on you? What seems like things are getting so tight and there's no way out? Think about that. Something inside Zacchaeus, though, in the midst of intense pressure, being surrounded by people who hated him, something compelled him to run ahead, to embarrass himself so that he could climb up a fig tree above the crowd and just maybe get to behold the man, Jesus. All the people on the street that hated him, now they would see him uh, and most likely laugh at him as they watched him run like a schoolboy and climb trees like a child. Let me ask you, would you be willing to lose all dignity in order to see Jesus? Would you be willing to look weak, silly, stupid, ridiculous even, that you might just have a chance to lay your eyes on Jesus? I'm going somewhere, I promise. 
See, Zacchaeus, he realizes that the crowd's only getting bigger. So he climbs a sycamore fig tree that he can see above everyone else's head. And he climbs that tree so he can get a good view. He climbs that tree to behold the man Jesus. And thank God that it's a, that it's a sycamore tree or a, a fig tree. In the original language, it's the same word. Uh, and they're, they're trees with broad, big leaves that are, uh, have a good view and, and, and a place that he can hide in. When I was growing up, we had a big fig tree in our yard. We had this massive thing. And when I was a little boy, I had two brothers growing up, and we would play hide-and-seek with our neighborhood friends, and that tree was the best place to hide because it had these big, broad leaves, and you could kind of look out and see where everyone was, but there was no way. You were perfectly camouflaged behind these fig leaves. No one could see you. And Zacchaeus, he gets in this tree above the crowd so he can see above their heads, and he's covered. He can hide. He can just look out and see Most people won't see how silly he's being. Most people won't see how eagerly he wants to see Jesus. Maybe if he can just hide, maybe he can save a little face. So from the tree, he can behold Jesus and see what sort of man Jesus really was. So he holds onto those branches tightly. I know I'm painting a picture, but I promise I'm going somewhere. He's holding onto these branches tightly, and he's waiting for the parade to pass by. And he sees the crowd approaching, and he's looking out as they're coming. And and as they get closer, he can start to make out individual faces and, and see who it is and which one's Jesus. And as they get closer, it's obvious which one's Jesus is because everybody's looking at him, right? And he says, oh, that's got to be him. And then he's coming right down this street by. Him, and he's right there, and Zacchaeus is like, man, I've got the best view in the house. I can really see who Jesus is. And then suddenly Jesus stops walking. This isn't part of the plan. It's not part of the, the, the itinerary for the crowd. And Jesus, he stops walking in the street, and he looks at his 12 that are behind him. He says, hey, boys, wait here for a minute. And then he goes to the side of the road. And then in my mind, I can just see Jesus kind of making his way to the side of the road, and the crowd kind of splits to let him through like in a movie or something, you know. And then Jesus, he stops at the foot of this tree and maybe he's looking around he's shaking hands with people that are in the shade of the tree and maybe kissing a few babies you know whatever whatever he's doing but then all of a sudden he looks up into the tree Zacchaeus can't believe oh wow he saw me he found me where I'm at Zacchaeus has or Jesus looks at me he says Zacchaeus it's like how do you know my name he says Zacchaeus, you you need to come down from here. I'm on my way to your house. You're in the wrong place. I'm on my way to your house right now. You're climbing trees. Zacchaeus, what are you doing? Let me just take a moment and stop here. This, I feel like I've read that story before. See, this isn't the first time that God went looking for someone who was hiding behind fig leaves. I've read this story before. This isn't the first time that God took a walk and looked for someone who is hiding in fig leaves. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had sinned and fallen short of, of God's expectations and God, what God had told them. And in shame, they, they went and hid and they covered themselves, their nakedness, with what? Fig leaves. And God, he says he showed up in the cool of the day to, to meet and talk with Adam. And he can't find him. He says, Adam, where are you? And then he, he says, who told you you were naked? Who, why are you covered up like this? See, God always goes looking for people who are hiding. 
We, we can fail, we can mess up, we can be like Zacchaeus and maybe even be considered so evil and so, so, so hard and, and so far gone, but God still comes looking to find us. When we feel ashamed, when we feel broken, when we feel like we have to cover up and hide, he still and he looks right through your cover, he looks right through your disguise, and he goes and he finds you where he's at. Just like God called Adam and Eve out of their shame behind fig leaves, Jesus calls to Zacchaeus hiding behind fig leaves, and he, said, and he calls him out and he says, I'm on my way to your house. I want to spend time with you. See, Zacchaeus is trying to behold Jesus to look at him. He never expected Jesus to behold him. He was happy just seeing Jesus, but not being seen by Jesus. See, God never intended for us to hide from him. He never meant for us to have to cover ourselves up in his presence. When we're in God's presence, we never have to fear rejection. Just like God knew where to find Adam, just like Jesus knew where to find Zacchaeus, God knows where to find you and to call you out from everything you've ever done to cover your own sin and your own shame. The Bible says that Zacchaeus, he, he came down from the tree and he received Jesus joyfully. And they embraced and Zacchaeus led the way back to his house. And to the crowd, this is absolutely scandalous. How on earth could this prophet, this religious leader, how could such a man eat with a, with a tax collector? Not only just a tax collector, the chief tax collector, the, the top guy, the biggest extortionist around. Doesn't he know what this man has done? Doesn't he know the awful sins that this man has committed? Out of all the priests that live in this city that are religious officials, out of all the, the wealthy people in this city that he could have gone to eat with, Jesus chose to go with this man, the most hated man in Jericho, but Zacchaeus, he went to behold the man, Jesus. And when he did, he found out what God is really like. The Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about that day. It doesn't tell us what they ate for lunch or how long Jesus stayed there. All we know is that that meal brought about transformation in Zacchaeus' life. Because when we behold the man, Jesus, we find the God who changes lives. I don't want to throw any tradition or, or anyone that, that contributed to my life as a Christian under the bus here when I say this, so I hope you hear what I'm saying. I grew up, and maybe they didn't teach this, but this is what I heard. All right, I'll put it on me. I heard that Jesus cared about where I spent eternity. I didn't hear so much about Jesus caring about my life right now. Does that make sense? And I, I hope I don't, I'm not trying to throw anyone, this is what I heard. Maybe they taught something different. I just didn't catch it. But I never heard too much about Jesus caring about my life right now being transformed and changed. I heard about going to heaven one day and you had to do it just right because you might not make it to heaven and you didn't want to go anywhere else, you know, that kind of thing. And I heard that and th that stuff is true. But really, Jesus, more concerned, he was going to work out eternity one way or another. He is concerned about you being formed and changed and transformed into the likeness of himself, being restored to who you were created to be. And so, you know, we can put off Jesus and say, well, and this is what happens. People say, one day I'll get saved because I'm not planning on dying today. 
You know, one day I'll start serving Jesus because I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it a few more weeks. You know, I don't, I, I, you, there's even a country song about it, you know, that says everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. You guys heard that one? Y'all don't listen to country music. You listen to all Christian music. But, you know, there's even that song out there that peop, this is an idea people have. But when we look at Jesus, we find out that God isn't just concerned about eternity. He's concerned about right now. That when we look at Jesus, the man, we see that he is the God who changes lives, who transforms lives. Zacchaeus saw this. Zacchaeus was moved by the audacity of Jesus' love. He was overwhelmed by the grace and mercy that Jesus brought to his home. He was transformed by the presence of Jesus at the table. Jesus had shown love and acceptance to someone that everyone else hated and despised. And in a moment... In just one moment, beholding Jesus, one moment in Jesus' presence, Zacchaeus saw it all. He saw what his past had been, what his future what could be like. In one moment, beholding Jesus, and Zacchaeus was changed forever. One moment in Jesus' presence, and Zacchaeus' life was transformed for the now and for eternity. We see encounters like this all through Scripture. We see those one moments in people's lives throughout the Bible and history. One moment under the oaks of Mamre, and Abraham was changed from a barren, fatherless person to the father of many nations. One moment in God's presence and Moses before a burning bush was changed from a from a criminal to a deliverer of millions one moment in God's presence and the wife of Manoah who was uh, barren her womb was restored and she gave birth to the person we know now as Samson one moment and one encounter with God and Job's faith was restored one moment in the presence of God and Isaiah was sanctified and called to be a prophet one moment in the presence of God and three Hebrew boys uh, walked out of a fiery furnace, miraculously unburned. Uh, Even their clothes had not been singed by the flames. One moment in God's presence and a tax collector named Matthew was turned from a sinner to a disciple. One moment with Jesus and blinded eyes were open. One moment with Jesus and bones and muscles and ligaments and sinews and lame men's legs began to grow and operate and work together and they walked for the first time and ran and leaped. One moment and a woman who had been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years, who no doctor could help. She had spent all her money trying to find healing. One moment with Jesus and she was restored and healed. One moment with the Son of God uh, who is the resurrection and the life and dead men and women and children had life restored to their cold bodies. One moment and a common thief hanging on a cross next to Jesus looked at him, the sacrificial lamb of God and said, forget me not when you come into your kingdom. And that one moment transformed that man's eternity. One moment with Jesus and things start to change. One moment and God with God and life is restored. One moment with the Holy Spirit and sick bodies can be healed. One moment in the presence of God and I've seen people who were wasted, who were out of their mind high, become stone cold sober in a moment spending time with Jesus. One moment and I've seen kids who had cuts all up and down their arms and had been scarred from years of self-harm. One moment and I saw the scars come off of that kid's hands. I've seen them delivered and never touch a blade again to their own skin. One moment and the Holy Spirit uh, can set addicts free. One moment with Jesus and the depressed can find joy. One moment with Jesus and the worst of sinners can come to the altar and see their lives transformed. One moment with Jesus and your life can be renewed. One moment with Jesus in the presence of God and you can be empowered to face the biggest trial of your life. One moment with Jesus and you can be set free from sin. One moment with Jesus changes everything. 
One moment in God's presence and life is restored. One moment with Jesus. And Zacchaeus turned his life around and made restitution for his crimes. Suddenly there, while they're eating together, something came over Zacchaeus and his life was transformed there. It wasn't just one day, Zacchaeus, you're going to go to heaven. Right now, your life can be changed and transformed. He stood up in front of everyone there and he swore that he'd give half his possessions to the poor. And anyone that he had stolen from, he'd give back four times what he had taken. And this act of restitution was a sign that Zacchaeus not only was going to heaven, but that his heart, his life, his existence, had been transformed. This was radical restitution. The law at that time required that a thief return what he stole only twice over. But Zacchaeus says, I'll give four times back what I stole. Do do the math here. He's going to give half of what he has away. And then after he's done doing that, he's going to give four times back what he stole. This equals financial ruin. He'll never recover financially from this. He's that willing to just deny himself everything that he's ever had in order to live a life for Jesus. He'll never, but it doesn't matter. One moment and everything changed. You know, there's a saying I heard a while back that the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. That's true in this story. Everyone knew Zacchaeus. Everyone called him the chief tax collector. He was hated. Everyone knew him for, as a traitor and a, th- a thief. But Jesus saw something more. Jesus saw potential in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus started out that day a spectator, but Jesus saw more than a curious spectator. He saw who God had really created him to be. You know, because that saying it goes, the devil knows your name and he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he still calls you by your name. See, Jesus stopped at the tree that day and he called Zacchaeus by his name. He looked at the man hiding in a tree and his shame and his sin and his ugliness and the, all the things that he had done to awful people. And he called him Zacchaeus, pure, just. And righteous. Before it ever was seen in Zacchaeus' life, Jesus spoke it into Zacchaeus' life. He called Zacchaeus to something greater. He knew Zacchaeus for his name and not his sin. He called him to stop climbing and to come down and live what God had called him to live. You know, we can get so busy climbing. We put in so much effort just to, just to do the right thing, to get maybe a glimpse of God. But God only has asked us to invite him in. See, being a spectator isn't enough. If you really want to know me for who I am, stop climbing and just invite me. Just have me over. This meal that Zacchaeus has in Luke chapter 19, it is bookended by two significant events, before and after. And and reading this, it kind of comes all together if you look at it. Before Jesus enters Jericho, before Chapter 19 begins, the last thing that has happened in Jesus' life is he had an encounter with the man that we only know as the rich young ruler. Look at it in chapter 18. He asked Jesus, this rich young ruler comes and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds and tells the rich young man, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says this man who was too bound to his own material possessions, all he could do was hang his head and walk away. But Zacchaeus, though, in chapter 19, didn't even have to ask. 
He just invited Jesus in. He had seen enough of the grace and mercy of Jesus that he would be even willing to speak to him, much less come to his home, that he was compelled to give it away. One man rejected Jesus for, for his riches, and another man gave all his riches away so he could follow Jesus. History tells us, and Christian history says that Zacchaeus became a lifelong follower of Jesus. Uh, writings that came after the Bible say that Zacchaeus later became a bishop, a pastor, a missionary, and served in ministry the rest of his life. His life was changed forever. So there's the rich young ruler who rejects Jesus because of his material possessions. There's Zacchaeus who climbs a tree, then has Jesus over for supper, and then gives everything away to follow Jesus. And then the very next thing that happens is significant. Luke chapter 19 ends the story of Jesus' public ministry with the encounter with Zacchaeus. This meal with Zacchaeus was the last public meal that Jesus would have. Right after this, we see Palm Sunday, Jesus going into Jerusalem. This is the final public meal before that moment. And we're on this journey in Behold the Man series where we're going to be moving toward Palm Sunday and toward Easter. And so this was the last public meal that Jesus had before entering Jerusalem. And from this point on, Passion Week begins. There's Palm Sunday. Then there's, uh, there's Jesus washing his disciples' feet on Thursday. And then there's the trial uh, on Friday. And Jesus is about to be beaten and bludgeoned and crucified. All of this happens right after the meal with Zacchaeus. I told you, I don't know what Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about that day. But I think there's a connection between Zacchaeus and what Jesus is about to do in the crucifixion. This final public encounter with the sinner almost was like Jesus' way of saying, Zacchaeus, you climbed a tree for me today. But you can stop climbing. You don't have to put in the effort to maybe try to see me. Zacchaeus, you climbed a tree today, but in a few days, I'm going to climb a tree for you. In a few days, I'll be on the tree. You climbed a tree to satisfy your curiosity, but in a few days, I'm going to climb a tree to save your life. You climbed a, a tree so you could get a quick look at me. I'm climbing a tree to transform your life now and transform your eternity. You climbed that tree because you were short. I'm climbing that tree, Jesus or Zacchaeus, because I'm going to turn you into a spiritual giant. People are going to know your name for thousands of years because of your faith in me. You climbed a tree so you could be a spectator. I'm climbing a tree to be your savior. You know what tree I'm talking about, right? You're following me, that old rugged cross we just sang about. He was hung on a tree for our salvation. And Jesus is saying, I'll be climbing the trees from now on. The scripture says, no one has the authority to take my life. I lay down my life. What's that mean? Jesus willingly climbed on that cross for you and for me. He climbed on that tree, that piece of wood for you and for me. I don't have to climb any more trees to see Jesus because he climbed a tree and he sees me. He saw me while he was hanging on a cross. He saw you while he was hanging on a cross saying, I'm doing this for you. When you behold Jesus, you see the God who changes lives. Katie, will you come?
We're going to sing that old rugged cross just one more time. We're going to spend time in worship. The message today, it's a little bit different. It's a story more than a sermon, but I want you to, you don't have to climb anymore. You don't have to live like you have been living. You, Jesus is the God who transforms lives. Would you stand? Jesus says, no one's killing me. No one's taking my life from me. No one's hanging me on a cross. I am going to that cross willingly for you. I'm going to that cross so you can come down. You can stop climbing. You can stop trying to make it right. You can stop trying to cleanse yourself. You can stop trying to, to do it all. You can. That's my job, Jesus is saying. I'm the one that climbs the tree. You just come and live for me. You just invite me into your life. You invite me into your home, into your household. That's all it takes. And when you invite me in, you'll see things start to change.